Okay, we've been in a loose sermon series on uh, what a reconstructed faith looks like. Or for those of you who maybe didn't grow up with a more sort of rigid belief system that you've had to deconstruct and then reconstruct, maybe it's easier to just say it's like what a healthy faith looks like. I'm forgetting all the details. There we go. And so as part of that this morning, um, what I want to talk about is how a healthy faith is comfortable with mystery and with uncertainty and with doubt, right? That it's not threatened by questions or disbelief. And to do that, we're going to spend a little bit of time with Psalm 27. And so for those of you who are in here, uh, the bulletin, the second sheet, I've written out a bunch of the verses from Psalm 27 in the order that we're going to be going through them online. I believe that Ken or someone on the team is going to be copying and pasting these as we go through. So this will let you follow along a little bit. And Psalm 27 is a psalm that in many streams of Judaism, it's actually recited twice a day during the weeks leading up to the high holy days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So it's a fairly well-known psalm. And parts of these psalms are also very well-known within the Christian faith. And you heard Hannah read some of those this morning. And I had her end with the the really beautiful, well-known bit here that's the first one you have on your sheet, Psalm 27.4. One thing do I ask of the Lord, it is this that I seek, that I dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the Lord's sweetness and to gaze on their palace. And I kind of love this, this idea of of picturing, like, if God had a home, what might that look like? Right, that that that's a mystical endeavor, that question. And so the psalmist in two different places here is talking about God's house. First, he talks about dwelling in the house of the Lord and then laser gazing on their palace. And that first part, that dwelling in the house of the Lord, I think commentators pretty well agree that the psalmist is probably talking about the temple in Jerusalem that existed at that time that was sort of the center of the life and the community. Right, And so it's this that I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, is like a longing for the safety and the beauty of that space and the sort of cultural significance of it. But then that last line, right, the one that's talking about the palace of God, I think that one seems to beckon us a little bit further into something else. Because you wouldn't call the temple a palace. right? And so what I picture is the psalmist like sitting in the temple praying and then just like imagining the palace of God and the realms beyond the ones with which we're familiar, right? So in our modern understanding, it might be like imagining how God exists maybe in multiple dimensions, right? If God exists there and what that might look like. And then the psalmist is pondering the the sweetness of that divine presence, which just makes me wonder like, what does that even mean? Like what, what is the psalmist even talking about there? Is it just like a feeling in their body? Um, of that presence, or is it just recalling the things God has done? So I thought, if you've got a a mystical or a contemplative bent, this might be a little verse to kind of tuck in your pocket this week as sort of a a ripe piece of poetry to just kind of sit with and let your mind wander a little. And then the rest of the first half of that psalm is pretty bombastic, actually. So I put the verses that are around it Next, I think it strikes this very confident tone about God's strength and God's protection. And we heard Hannah read a lot of this, right? The the Lord is my light and my rescue. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my life's stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evildoers draw near me to eat my flesh, which is a very visceral picture, my foes and my enemies are they, they trip and they fall. Though a camp is marshaled against me, my heart shall not fear. Though battle is roused against me, nonetheless do I trust. For God hides me in the shelter on the day of evil. He conceals me in the recesses of his tent, and now my head rises over my enemies around me. Right, And so it's got this, this tone of like, you know, God and I, we got it going on, and you don't mess with me because the Lord is on my side, right? Like, I'm up here, and my enemies, they're all down there. And at first glance, I think it seems like the song of like strong people sort of taunting the weak. But as we read down into the psalm, I think it reveals itself more as like a song for people who are desperately in need of God and God's protection, and then sort of experiencing that, right? It's a song of the weak, kind of mustering strength. It's almost a false confidence, I think. But sometimes that's helpful. And I don't know about you, but I think I've gone through periods of my faith journey where this tone resonates a little bit more, um, where I've felt like I was able to pray more boldly, and I felt kind of just wrapped in God's protection there. And most often when I have felt that, like looking back, I was thinking, I think it's been at times when I felt my most vulnerable. I remember feeling like that when my dad was diagnosed with a brain degenerative disease, maybe it was a little over 10 years ago. And it was like this weird, I think the Apostle Paul might call it like the peace that passes understanding. There was just this like, like a weighted blanket. And it was almost like, it's okay, come what may, God will be with us, God will be with him. And I was able to kind of sit in that comfort And I remember that feeling when, like, I was in the process of being outed, and we were starting this church seven years ago. And even though things were awful, I do remember this feeling of almost being, like, in a cocoon. And there was this sort of boldness and this strong faith in just praying for what my heart longed for in a church community. And so when I read this, I'm like, I kind of know this feeling, but it's not usually present when I'm, like, actually strong. It's usually more present when I'm weak and kind of really needing God. And then the second half of this psalm, I think it takes a little different tone, and it starts to give voice to doubt and to desperation that's just lurking beneath the surface. So we see Psalm 27, 7 to 9. Hear, O Lord, my voice when I call, and grant me grace and answer me. Of you, my heart said, seek my face. Your your face, Lord, do I seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in wrath. You are my help. Abandon me not, nor forsake me, O God of my rescue. And then it goes on. It's like, don't abandon me. Right? Don't deliver me into the hands of my enemies. And so suddenly the psalmist who's been feeling like just so confident of God's protection is now wondering if this same God might actually lead them right into the hands of the people who want to hurt them, right? who, who want to eat their flesh, if we remember verse 2. And I know I've also gone through periods of my faith journey where this tone resonates, right? Where there's just fear and wondering where God is at. And like some of you, I experienced some like really deep anxiety during and after the attempted coup earlier this year, which to me, it feels like so long ago at this point. It's so weird, but I'm like, oh, that was just a few months ago. And feeling that in part because I've studied history and I, I know these things I've seen how some of these things go, and queer people don't tend to fare well under hardline regimes that result from things like coups. And so that you are my help, 
Abandon me not, nor forsake me, O God of my rescue. Right? I know this feeling. It's like a feeling that just bubbles up automatically. I know that prayer. And then at the second to the last line, I think we have one more emotional turn that takes us in just a little bit deeper, and this is Psalm 27, 13. Had I not the assurance that I would enjoy the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, dot, dot, dot. And it does have the ellipses. Like most commentators agree that 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 dot, dot, dot is in the text or implied in the text as far as we can tell. Had I not the assurance that I would enjoy the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, And that first Hebrew phrase there is lule hamanti, lule hamanti, and it's translated as had I not the assurance, but it's a negative conditional, and I was, I was actually just watching a, um, I was doing like a a meditative, uh, what do you call it, like a chant almost with Rabbi Margot Hughes Robinson, and she was doing this online chant that was just focusing on this one line on this phrase. And she was saying, it's just as easily translated as, had I not believed, or if only I had believed, or even had I been able to believe. Right? And so we've now moved from this like confident declaration of God's strength at the beginning through a wavering hope, and then to this expression of really much deeper doubt Right. Had I been able to believe, oh, how I wish I had been able to believe that I would enjoy the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, dot, dot, dot. Right. And then the psalm concludes, and I find it really disjointed when I read it, with hope for the Lord, exclamation point. Let your heart be firm and bold and hope for the Lord. And so you're like back into this Confidence that feels almost, almost fake or forced, but there it is, and it feels out of place to me, and it feels like the writer is maybe like giving themselves a pep talk. Right? It's like, okay, you're scared, you're not even sure you fully believe in God or the goodness of this God, but you, know, you got this, be confident, hope in God. And it made me think of like a sports team or maybe like a music competition where you're going into it and like, you know your team is not going to win. Like, you're like, this is just totally a mis, uh, <laughs> mismatched um, competition. But, you know, you get the team together, you put your hands in, and you're pumping yourselves up, and you're like, go team, we got this. And it feels like that to me. Like, the writer is just desperately hoping that this final proclamation of assurance is true, but it's assurance that they don't really have, or at least don't have yet. And I think that that can give voice to an assurance that we may not have, right? This longing for a hope that's wavering or maybe has been lost. I also think it can be read as a plea against an encroaching cynicism, right? If I just had the assurance that I would see God's goodness while I'm still alive. And so the psalmist here is indicating that God's goodness, it isn't something just for the afterlife or whatever comes next, but it's more like, if only I could have the security now. God, how would that feel? How would I feel? Had I but that assurance? And then I think there's room for imagining envy here too, of perhaps the psalmist just seeing other people who seem really confident, or maybe even the psalmist seeing their past self as more confident and maybe longing for that, maybe even longing for how they were kind of feeling when they wrote the beginning of the psalm. And I know I've, I've found myself 
noticing that I sometimes grieved the loss of certainty that came with my younger faith. And that might resonate with some of you as well. And I mean, I think the faith that I have now is wiser. I think it's more mature. I think it helps me think more deeply and honestly about things. But you know, certainty feels powerful, doesn't it? And it feels safe in the moment. And it provides that, that sort of feeling of um, being like an impenetrable fortress. I wasn't going to tell this story, but maybe I just will because it came to my mind again as I was up here. I was telling Rachel this week, I remembered as a little kid, like tornadoes were really scary to me because I grew up in Indiana and I actually was like in a couple or, you know, in basements where they went down the street. And coupled with some of the like um, things that I believed about having certainty in prayer, like I came to believe that I could like control tornadoes when I was like 10. And it, it provided some sort of a psychological safety, I think, you know, of like, oh, it, it's not actually that scary because I could control it because God, right? Um, but it's also, I mean, that's a little bit of magical thinking and it's, it's less about God's presence with me through trouble and more like, oh, I could have control over that. And so I get that, that feeling of certainty. There's a safety to it. But that kind of certainty can be detrimental if we don't have the, like, the psychological flexibility or the permission to change our minds when we're faced with new evidence, right? And that we need space for uncertainty and for doubt in order to grow and to transform and to challenge what we think we know. And I know I've said it like a dozen times from the pulpit, and I'll say it again, I hope it's one of those things that people just remember through the years if you've been part of this church. That's doubt is part and parcel of a healthy faith. Right? Doubt is part and parcel of a healthy faith. And I think in this small moment in this verse that we are encouraged to sit with that psalmist nervousness and doubt about God. And that that can feel maybe a little bit unnerving there. But for me, it's also reassuring. You know, that like We're not alone in those feelings when we have them. And that the psalmist has generously made space for us here to say, it's okay to name that and to say, you know, there are times where things just feel hard and I could just really use, if you're there, I could use some reassurance of your presence. And I do wonder if the psalmist mystical connection that we had just a small window into in verse four, I do wonder if that little mystical connection to the spirit is what sustains them and is part of what sustains us. I would say for me personally, that's, that's how I feel. It's that connection that I've experienced that's hard to explain. And so that's what I'd like to invite us to do, or invite you to do, if you would like, this morning. And that's with our meditation, where we usually take a couple of minutes of silence or guided meditation, that we're just going to invite the Spirit to give us some comfort and assurance in spaces where maybe we've been needing that. And so I'll go ahead and guide us. So I just, if you're here, if you want to, Sit up straight, make yourself comfortable. If you're online, same thing. Take a couple of deep breaths at your own pace. Just settle into your seats. Be present in the moment. Just kind of notice how your body feels. And as we're settling, just picture yourself in a space that feels safe to you. And just kind of notice what it looks like and what it feels like, maybe even what it smells like. Where is that safe space for you?
And in that space, you can imagine uh, God or however you, know, however you imagine God or the Spirit as being present there with you. And then just taking this time in silence to just sort of ask for that assurance if you need it. Or maybe just giving voice to some of your wanderings or your doubts. Or just, or just sit there enjoying the presence of God. So I'll let you know when the time is up, but we'll just take you know, a minute or so of just silence in this space. So spirit of love, spirit of God, we thank you that we can bring our whole selves to you, that we don't have to hide parts of us, um, that we can express doubt and challenges and misgivings and questions. And we ask that you would give us comfort in the spaces where we need comfort and reassurance in places where we need reassurance. In the name of you, in your son, Jesus, amen. And I just want to end with, with one quote because it didn't really fit in the sermon, but I was like, oh, it really fits with, with what we're talking about, and I love it. And it's from Dr. Tanya Lerman, who we might get to, to speak here again. And she says, faith is hard because it's a decision to live as if a set of claims are real, even when one doubts. And in the Christian case, that the world is good, that love endures, and that you should live your life as if the promise of joy were at least a possibility. And I love that.